Welcome to this week's episode of Free Circle Freedoms. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and this week we dive back into our reading of Visualized American Government, 1964 edition, the chapter we've been in, Party and Politics. This week's discussion, we cover party machinery. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's episode of Free Circle Freedoms. When we talk party machinery, it's pretty important to understand what goes on within your party and how it's coordinated to run. And when we talk party machinery, this is what we are talking about, is how and why the parties run the way they do. Party machinery. The party organization in each state is under the control of the state committee. The functions of this committee are, first, to organize the voters of the state, second, to direct the campaign for the election of state and local officials, third, to supervise the selection of delegates to the national convention, and fourth, to cooperate with the national committee in presidential and congressional campaigns. Each party holds a national convention every four years in order to act on two important matters. First, the drawing up of a platform which contains a resume of the party's principles and achievements together with the specific pledges of policies or they're known as planks, which it plans to carry out if victorious in the November elections. And second, nomination of the party's candidate for the presidency and the vice presidency. Footnote, if a nominee for the president or vice president should die or withdraw before the day of the election, the national committee of the party which nominated him presumably would have the power to select a new candidate unless there was sufficient time to call another national convention. This is one of the obscure points of American politics. The national convention of each party is a large and rather unwieldy body of more than 1,200 delegates who are chosen by primary elections in some of the states and by district or state conventions in others. In the Republican National Convention, candidates for president and vice president have always been selected by a simple majority vote. The delegates cast their votes as individuals, which means that the vote of the state may be divided among two or more candidates. In the Democrat National Convention, nominees for president and vice president formally had to obtain the approval of two-thirds of the delegates, but in 1936, the two-thirds rule was abandoned. At the same time, the Democrats dropped the rule, which in general had required that the entire vote of a state delegation be cast as a unit. So let's remember as we read from Visualized American Government 
it is from 1964. So some of these rules have changed throughout the times. That wraps up what Visualized American Government 1964 edition has to say about party machinery. But as always, let's go ahead and expand on that just a little bit and look up what Wikipedia has to say about party machinery. Over on Wikipedia, we looked up political machine. A political machine is a political group in which an authoritative boss or small group commands the support of a core of supporters and businesses, usually campaign workers, who received rewards for their efforts. The machine's power is based on the ability of the boss or group to get out the vote of their candidate on election day. Although these elements are common to most political parties and organizations, they are essential to political machines, which rely on the hierarchy and rewards for political power, often enforced by a strong party whip structure. Machines sometimes have a political boss oftentimes rely on patronage, the spoils system, behind the scenes control, and long-standing political ties within the structure of a representative democracy. Machines typically are organized on a permanent basis instead of a single election or event. The term may feel sometimes like a corrupt political machine. The term political machine dates back to the 20th century in the United States, where such organizations have existed in some municipalities and states since the 18th century. Similar machines have been described in Latin America, where the system has been called clientelism or political clientelism. After the similar clientela relationship in the Roman Republic, especially in rural areas, and also in some African states and other emerging democracies, like post-communist Eastern European countries. The Swedish Social Democrats have also been referred to a certain extent as a political machine, thanks to its strong presence in popular houses. In the late 19th century, large cities in the United States, Boston, Chicago, Cleveland, Kansas City, New York City, Philadelphia, St. Louis, were accused of using political machines. During this time, cities experienced rapid growth under inefficient government. Each city's machine lived under hierarchy system with a boss who held the allegiance of local business leaders, elected officials, and their appointees, and who knew the proverbial buttons to push to get things done. Benefits and problems both resulted from the rule of political machines. The system of political control, known as bossism, emerged particularly in the Gilded Age, a single powerful figure, the boss, 
was at the center and was bound together to a complex organization of lesser figures, the political machine. By reciprocity, in promoting financial and social self-interest, one of the most infamous of these political machines was Tammy Hall, the Democratic Party machine that played a major role in controlling New York City and New York politics and helping immigrants, most notably the Irish, raise up in American politics from the 1790s to the 1960s. From 1872, Tammany had an Irish boss, however, Tammany Hall also served as an engine for graft and political corruption. Perhaps most notoriously under William M. Boss, Tweed, in the middle 19th century. Other historians note that Tammany Hall, although widely known as probably not the most wicked, instead referring to the Republican Party machine in Philadelphia. Voting Strategy Many machines formed in cities to serve immigrants to the U.S. in the late 19th century who viewed machines as a vehicle for political enfranchisement. Machine workers helped win elections by turning out large numbers of voters on election day. It was in the machine's interest to only maintain a minimally winning amount of support. Once they were in the majority, they could count on a win. There was less need to recruit new members, as this only meant a thinner spread of the patronage rewards to be spread among the party members. As such, later arriving immigrants such as Jews, Italians, and other immigrants from Southern and Eastern Europe between the 1880s and 1910s saw fewer rewards from the machine system than the well-established Irish. At the same time, the machine's staunchest opponents were members of the middle class who did not need the financial help. The corruption of urban politics in the United States was denounced by private citizens. They achieved national and state civil service reform and worked to replace local patronage systems with civil service. By Theodore Roosevelt's time, the progressive era mobilized millions of private citizens to vote against the machines. In the 1930s, James A. Farley was the chief dispenser of the Democratic Party's patronage system through the post office and the Works Progress Administration, which eventually nationalized many of the job benefits machines provided. The New Deal allowed machines to recruit for the WPA and Civil Conservation Corps, making Farley's machine the most powerful. All patronage was screened through Farley, including presidential appointments. The New Deal machine fell apart after he left the administration over the third term in 1940. Those agencies were abolished in 1943 and the machines suddenly lost much of their patronage. The formerly poor immigrants who had benefited under Farley's national machine 
had become assimilated and prosperous and no longer needed the informal aids provided by machines. In the 1940s, most of the big city machines collapsed with the exception of Chicago. A local political machine in Tennessee was forcibly removed in what was known as the 1946 Battle of Athens. Smaller communities such as Parma, Ohio in the post-Cold War era under Prosecutor Bill Mason's good old boys and especially communities in the Deep South where small town machine politics are relatively common also feature what might be classified as political machines although these organizations do not have the power and the influence of the larger boss networks listed in this article for example the cracker party was a democratic party political machine that dominated city politics in augusta georgia for over half of the 20th century Political machines also thrive on Native American reservations where the veil of sovereignty is used as a shield against federal and state laws against the practice. So as we can see, the use of political machines can go either way, good or bad, and we've seen them used both ways throughout our political history here in the United States. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Free Circle Freedoms. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe, and join us right here next week for the next episode of Free Circle Freedoms. Ed Waters, out.